Welcome into Tailgate Live from Los Angeles here at the Super Bowl. Austin Gale with Mike Renner. Today on the show, going to do our 2022 NFL Draft position rankings, the strength of the class by position. Then we have Mike's generational prospect bracket should be an interesting one there and at the back end of the show much anticipated interviews with Lincoln Riley head coach at USC and Iki Aquanu stopped by the set NC State offensive tackle let's get it Mike, you left the audience on an absolute gem last podcast. You said, have I told the story about the dog that came on me? I, I, you still haven't told me this story off camera, so I'm reacting to this live. Okay. Please lead off. So, I mean, I was talking about the dog that we had in college. That was my roommate's dog. Um, the one that pooped behind the So couch. we got it our senior year. They got all hyped one night talking about it and got a miniature dachshund. That was a puppy, like probably like six weeks, eight weeks. I thought dachshunds are already miniature. That, so it's even smaller. Like this thing's tiny. Really? So the uh, dachshunds are small, but this one's even smaller. And named it Optimus Prime, called it Opie for short. It was Opie. Like I don't think either of them like he had had a dog. My roommate, but he had not like been the one to solely raise a dog. Like so he knew about how to take care of a dog, but not how much work it took, especially when it's a puppy. And so this dog was just pooping and peeing all over the place. Like I said kind of uncontrolled and obviously it's a puppy and so we haven't had it neutered yet and this dog went out when anyone would come home it was the most excited dog to my to this day that i've ever seen in my life in terms of like it would just lose its mind and mm-hmm. be shaking for like 15 or so minutes afterwards just literally shaking. my buddy's dachshund was like that to a degree so it'd sprint up to the door lay on its back and then shake yes shake. yes i've seen and, dogs then, and then i would like start i would just rub its stomach rub its stomach every time <laughs> one time i come back rubbing its stomach for a good while and all of a sudden just shot shot oh, and dude. i'm like Where all over my get... literally all over my forearm and hand and i'm just mortified standing there realizing i just jerked off and that's off. a fetish for some i hadn't touched i mean like i didn't touch anything to, that's to no, be clear come on, that's a lie to be clear that's no I, I just rubbed its rubbing stomach his tummy for like a, a, lo- a normal while. like someone does i mean yeah i was probably like i was going harder than normal oh, i'll just God. say but i had not t- I you had said, a goal in mind <laughs> no <laughs> it just cracked me up that a dog would lose its mind and love it so that's, much that's and it lost insane. more than its mind i i googled miniature dachshund to yeah. look see what it looks like this is an embarrassment of a dog they're hilarious look. i don't know why you'd ever get this it they, looks ridiculous yeah it also looks like so a liability timid. It, life this has thing to be, could get like stepped on that's the thing it's like life has to be like i realize now why he would get so like anxious and scared because everything's fucking massive for that yeah, dog yeah, <laughs> like yeah like Dude. they're coming up to your you guys come back it's like the only people that don't like want to kill it really okay well that was way too far that might <laughs> that was a an insane story to pivot to football on the catch and early buzz and we have alvin kamara his mugshot released i don't really have any comments on this it looked rough he's obviously slammed it's just the vegas Strikes again, dude. dude. Vegas, I mean, Vegas is taking. He was at, you know, where he was? Names. He was at the casino we were at, East West Triangle, the Cromwell. Was he? Yeah. I <laughs> lost the, the too much money. <laughs> Cromwell is a great casino. It was a very cheap place to, to gamble. I don't know. Alvin Kamara getting after it at the Cromwell. I don't even know what nightclubs are there, but. And did you also see, speaking of guys who were slammed, Allen Iverson at the game? He was, no. at, he was at, I don't know what game he was at, but he was eating popcorn. His eyes were like sealed shut. <laughs> Guy was having a fucking day. Um, what an exciting catch. We, we also didn't talk Dennis Allen to the Saints okay. last time. 
which has gotten increasingly more important. Yeah, and actual things that matter. Uh, Dennis Allen, uh, friend of the show. Do we call him a friend of the show? I don't think he's a friend We've of the show. We've talked about him. We've talked about him. He probably hates us. Um, but that one I thought was always going to happen, you know? Yeah. That that one seemed like the writing was on the wall. When, when Sean Payton left, it's like you couldn't lose Dennis Allen. You were winning games because of Dennis Allen. He's also due so. for another opportunity, right? Yes. Like what he's done with that defense in New Orleans. Yeah, they have a lot of talent. I think people would say that too. Like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Marshawn Lattimore, Cam- um, Cameron Jordan. Like they've had a lot of talent on that defense. But I still think he's maximized a lot of that. Yeah. They've consistently been not just a top defense, but a top defense against really good quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Like they've been Brady's kryptonite for a handful of games this this, uh, this past season, even before that. So have to be impressed with what Dennis Allen does. And, and they like, done. I'm excited for him to be head coach. And again. they keep status quo. Like, there's not going to be any head coaching or coaching turnover, really, besides Sean Payton. Like, that's the only guy that really left there. Because the interesting thing to me, the crazy thing to me, is that Pete Carmichael has been there since 2009 as their offense coordinator. And that dude's just, like, good with that. Yeah. He's just, I'm okay being coordinator, which rarely you see, but all the respect for that dude. All righty. That's the Catch and Early Buzz. Going to dive into the NFL Draft position rankings for 2022. But before we do that, presenting sponsor of Tailgate, DraftKings. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code PFF, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in-free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 years or older. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. On to... The position rankings here and you did not this is regardless of positional value obviously you are only ranking like the actual talent level of each of these positions so this is the strength of the class at each position compared to your run-of-the-mill class gotcha gotcha so like which classes have the most talent compared to your usual year i like so that. like last year wide receiver quarterback were one and two because those classes had more talent at those positions than you pretty much ever find in any given draft. Whereas, I'm trying to think of tight end, le- or not, not tight end, uh, defensive tackle last year, where you didn't have one go in the first round. Yeah. That was a weak class. And shit, it's kind of a weak class again. So, which is an interesting trend that we're getting weaker defensive tackle classes. But let's dive in. All right. First and foremost, what do you got? All right. So, I think the specialist class in terms of the one that has the most talent sports position that truthfully I've seen since we started doing this in 2014 grading college the 2015 draft is I think linebacker really I really like this I'm kind of stunned by this one this one I I think there's four guys who I would seriously myself consider in the first round that's Devin Lloyd out of Utah Nicobe Dean out of Georgia Leo Chanel from Wisconsin and Brian Asamoah from Oklahoma those guys to me are all if you draft them in the first round cool and then that's not even including Alabama's Christian Harris who a lot of people are yeah. high on. Not Dust here at PFF, but a lot of people are high on. And Quay Walker from Georgia, who's been now mocked in a handful of first-round mocks. So there's a lot of talent at linebacker. And then after that, you have this kind of tier of guys who I feel really good about on day two with Chad Muma from Wyoming, Brandon Smith from Penn State, Channing Tindall from Georgia, even Troy Anderson from Montana State, and Darian Beavers from Cincinnati. Like Those guys, all top 100 players. That's Let me, let me do the little napkin math here for you. That's going to be 
11 guys that end up in the top 100 on PFS draft board linebacker position. That's, that's rare. That's, that's a rare. rare. Exactly. And a lot of that is because, and, and I mean, obviously every year that PFF is creating this draft board, positional value is heavily factored in. It's why running backs kind of fall a bit deeper into your offensive linemen, linebackers. The fact that you're going to have 11 in your top 100 when it's all said and done, I think is impressive. And I really do like the depth of this class so much that Obviously, mm-hmm. Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean, they were likely first rounders. And I think they are different in terms of athleticism and the type of tools that they have. But like Devin Lloyd in the top 10 or top 15 versus potentially getting, you know, a unique linebacker on day two, like a Channing Tindall, Troy Anderson, you know, Darian Beavers. I don't know. I, I think I'm, the depth of the class could have me considering linebacker yeah. on day two, overtaking some of the guys at the top. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I, I do think Devin Lloyd, in terms of just safety of prospects, Dude's pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, he's not, you're not chasing too much high end with him. I, don't, I shouldn't even say that because he is like, he could be an elite linebacker sooner rather than later. But like, you feel about as good as him as, I don't want to say any linebacker we've mm-hmm. graded, but like, he's up there in the top five linebackers we've graded in terms of like certainty that he will be at least a quality NFL linebacker. I don't think I've seen like obvious two linebackers go in the first round in mocks since the Devin Bush. Devin Bush and uh, Devin White. Devin White. Yeah. yeah. When we both those, those were, guys were locks. Yeah, those guys were locks. I don't know. Do you feel locks with Dean and Lloyd? Yeah, I think I locked them both. Oh wow, so, you already locked. Obviously, them. they're locked. I feel like locks. You locked them both. Uh, what is the second best position here? So linebacker one, I like edge two. Obviously, top two players in the PFF board, Naden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, are edge, and a lot of that's positional value caked in and you know certainty of evaluation with edge caked in that it's just an easier position to evaluate than some on a football field but i like the class and then you have carloff george carloff is from purdue david ojabo from michigan who and trayvon walker from georgia who are going to be like pretty sure fire first rounders at this point and then i really love kind of the depth going into day two in the top 50 picks mm-hmm. like Arnold Lebicetti from Penn State, Drake Jacks from USC, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, Kingsley Negri from South Carolina, Nick Benito from Oklahoma. All those guys are kind of top 50 guys. And even Boye Mafe from Minnesota. All those guys, I think, are going to be off the board somewhere in the top 50 to 60 picks, like by the end of the second round. And we say, you know, don't, don't wait to day two to draft edge. I, I think it's more like don't wait past the top 50 to draft edge. Like, there's still got a lot of guys, like a Demarcus Lawrence, like a Jabal Sheard, who go at the top of the second round and are still very talented edge rushers. So, I think a lot I of think that, that's where the strengths of the class is going to be. I think a lot of that is rooted, obviously, in the production that we've seen from Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Tibble at the top. Carl yeah. Loft is also uber productive for like his entire career at Purdue, one of the few players that started as a true freshman at Purdue. But a lot of it's also they're going to meet the size thresholds, right? Like, a lot of these guys are big. I remember yeah. in previous edge classes, like the Brian Burns classes, like he's got to get to this 250 number, he's got to get to this weight. All of these guys are, you know, all these guys specifically at the except top. Except Nick Benito. Except for Nick Benito, Only really are really going to pass that test. Right, yeah. even MyJ Sanders uh, of Cincinnati showed up to the Senior Bowl, um, clearing that 250 mark. Boy, Mafe. I mean, these guys, these guys all meet those thresholds, and a lot of them have the long arms as well, 33 inch arms plus. Kingsley and Agbury, I think, reaching 34, 35. Like there are high floor players and what they have from a size perspective. But I'm also excited about the depth of this class. Yeah. Now, I said this about linebacker, worried about maybe not worried, but maybe I consider a day two linebacker knowing the depth of this class. For edge, I'm taking Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Carl Loft is probably in the top ten. Yeah. I am locked in to those guys being top ten type of players. Next up on the position rankings list in twenty twenty two. Offensive tackle. So we got linebacker edge and offensive tackle. This one's a little top heavier in that Evan Neal, Charles Cross, Ike McQuanu, 
those are top 10 type of guys. Like those guys, I will blow my mind if one of them's on the board anywhere past 12. Um, now they're not like top, necessarily top five type of guys, any of them, but all top 10. And then you have Bernard Ryman and Trevor Penning, some Central Michigan, Northern Iowa respectively, who are like, they're first rounders. Those yeah. guys are going in the first round, even though they're small school guys that, you know, if they played better competition, you could talk about in the Neil Cross, Aquanu tier, but it's always difficulty. It's like when you don't see it against top competition consistently, don't feel as good about it. So those guys are in the mix though. And then after that, it's not great, but there are guys to be had. I mean, Daniel Falale, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer from Ohio State, Abraham Lucas, Washington State, Darren Kennard, even Kentucky, even though I probably more of a guard, but there are guys to be had throughout day two a little bit-ish, but like those five guys in the first round, doesn't come around every year. Yeah, I, I think I don't necessarily disagree that this is one of the top position groups, but I do think that there is an obvious cliff, right? That comes off after Evan Neal, Charles Cross, Aquanu. Maybe you're throwing Raymond in that tier, but like after that, I could see a lot of these guys in like swing tackle roles out of the gate that maybe develop into starters. And I don't see a lot of high end maybe after Falele, right? Like Dish is not going to be like this freak at the next level. Kirkland, Petit Friere, that's where my head is at least. But with Evan Neal, Cross, and Aquanu, yeah. And I know you're higher on Raymond than some others, but with those three at least, you feel this opportunity for them to be elite. Mm -hmm. Like they could be Tristan Worf's tier of like production at the next level. I think after that, you're kind of hoping for um, average to above average play consistently, yeah. but that's where my head's at on this class. All right, cornerback. I originally thought this would be a top two, top three position group in the 22 draft, but I think similarly to tackle, there is this cliff where like, you're not even considering outside corners. You know what I mean? Like there are, after the first few outside corners in this class, you get to the back end here, and it's like a lot of slot guys, a lot of box slot type of players. It's yeah. not, it's it's specifically not strong at outside corner, and I think that's what ultimately draws the value down a bit. Well, I just expected bigger years from guys like uh, Kyrie Elam from Florida, mm -hmm. Andrew Booth from Clemson, Martin Emerson from Mississippi State. Like I thought, all those Darian guys Kendrick from Georgia. Like you expected these big years for sure. I thought all those guys would solidify themselves as first rounders, and then that would be kind of a sick class. But now, kind of as it stands, it's Derek Stingley, Ahmad Gardner, Trent McDuffie, and then Gap. Like yeah. I, those guys, I think I said this on the last show, you want a cornerback, I would get one of those guys. And then I, because I feel if very you want help now, solid. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I feel very solidly about those three. The rest, TBD. Mm -hmm. So that's why cornerback, like you said, I thought it was going to be a really sick class. It's still very good. Like those three, it's kind of like the tackle class from two years ago with Wirfs, Thomas, Wills, Becton. I had Josh Jones up there too, but mm -hmm. then Tier. And then it's like, then you want those guys, then peace. So you want those three and then yeah. peace. You get the three studs, Derek Stingley Jr. of LSU, Ahmad Gardner, Cincinnati, and Trent McDuffie of Washington. Then after that, I see this tier of like developmental outside corners, Kyrie Elam, Andrew Booth Jr., you know, potentially Darion Kendrick, who's just scratching inside the top 100. But then there is some depth at slot, right? And now slot, obviously... You're chasing yeah. outside cornerback talent at the top of the draft. But look at Roger McCreary, who played almost exclusively in the slot at the Senior Bowl. Jalen Petrie, Marcus Jones, even of Houston. JoJo Doman yeah. has graded well from Nebraska. Like, they're, Daxton Hill, I didn't mention him, but he could probably play for JoJo's the JoJo's more of a linebacker. Yeah. But I, I do feel that there is some depth or strength in the slot. And I do think if you're going to attack slot cornerback and you can get a Jalen Petrie at the top of day two, or even Marcus Jones maybe at the back end of day two, I think there's going to be a lot of value there. Yeah, I see Petrie probably, probably going to be more of a safety. Although, like... I'd still keep him in the slot. But. Let's go to the next one. I almost teased it. Oh, I did tease it. Wide receiver. And it's, I said, it's not like last year's class, but 
but I like the class a lot. I, I do, and I've talked about the tier one. That's Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jameson Williams. Kind of pick your poison there. But then I like the tier two of Chris Olave from Ohio State, Jahan Dotson from Penn State, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, and then Sky Moore of Western Michigan I'd even throw in there. Jalen Tolbert, kind of close to that tier. I'd probably put him a tier below in terms of how good I feel about him as a prospect. But So that tier one is firmly fringe top 10 to top 20. I'd take any of those guys in that range. Should even Drake, Drake London, depending on your offense, I, I could take him even higher. Jamison Williams, I could take even higher, depending on your offense and what you want. But all those guys are in that mix. And then, like I said, all the other guys are kind of like pick 25 on. Mm-hmm. I feel fine taking any of those guys. I think that first tier, I'd probably throw Olave in there. I'm higher on Olave Oof. than a lot of other people, but I like he's in, comfortably taking him yeah. inside the top 20. I'm saying, and he's definitely in the the top. At, he's the top one of the second tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just think those other three offer like an elite skill mm-hmm. set that could be a wide receiver one, 1500 yeah. yard guy. Not to say like Olave's never going to get 1500 yards, but it's like. He firmly has a kind of a wide receiver two skill set. Yeah, that first three, right? You're looking at them as guys who have wide receiver two floors, but wide receiver one potential. Yes. And then pretty much everyone after that is like high end wide receiver two potential yeah. and maybe like with, low end wide receiver. With, yeah, like questions about are they going to be exactly. wide receiver one? Oh, like can they get, yeah, Burks, I get you. I get can you. he actually be an X? He's never been an X. Sky Moore, is he too small to win outside? Is he fast enough? But like, they're all good prospects. And even after that, too, like Tolbert of South, South Alabama, you know, that's another Justin guy. Ross. And so the interesting guys here to me are after that, then are Justin Ross from Clemson, George Pickens from Georgia. Because George Pickens, back his that's freshman Trevor year. That's wide receiver, too. Yeah, like back his freshman year, he's kind of the Derek Stingley of the cornerback class, of the wide receiver class, excuse mm-hmm. me, where freshman year, if you ranked anyone else above him as a wide receiver one, you're crazy. Like mm-hmm. that was a sick freshman year. But then sophomore year, he had fewer yards. And his junior year after he tore his ACL, like that, he didn't look anything like the guy he did. And then in flashes like, this season, you've seen it. No, not at all to me. Like this season after he tore his ACL, like he just was different. He didn't look good. Even though he won that, you know, he had the deep ball against Alabama, like he just was not the same guy. And that's obviously like he had just torn his ACL. Yeah, you don't yeah, expect true. him to be the same guy. So I, that's the one where it's like you're going to have to get that guy on a football field somewhere and test and have him like run routes for you to see what he could, if he can get back to that because there's question marks about shit whether he's if he's going to or not at this point. You don't you don't want to move Traylon Burks higher on this list or are you comfortable taking him in the first round? I think a lot of people feel that PFF is low on Traylon Burks. Yeah, uh, definitely, I definitely am. Like I compared to like DJ had him twelfth. Mm-hmm. I, I would not take him above pick like twenty five. Honestly, I, I just don't think he's. I love the. Physicality, the you know athleticism at that size, the speed at that size, but he is just not loose the way AJ, AJ Brown, Brown was. Yeah. And DK Metcalf's the, probably the better comp in my opinion of the two Ole Miss wide receivers. DK ran a four three at two thirty. Like Traylon Burks is a heck of an athlete, but he's going to run probably like a four four something at two twenty five. Like DK was a different animal, and even still, like we've seen DK. Go hot and cold. Now, now, that's not to say you would draft DK in the top 10 in retrospect, but like it's still a limited wide receiver at the NFL level. There's only DK's one been. DK. Yeah. DK is like a freak at 230 running a 4-3. Yes, exactly. If Burks tests like that, maybe we start to have different questions. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that's I think that's good analysis of Burks. But what I was saying about Alave, I'd probably put him in that tier one. And then after that, that tier two starts with Jahan Dotson, Burks, 
Tolbert, Sky Moore for me as well. But all righty then. On to number six, position group six. This is about average, right? We're getting to the average yeah. of the draft class here. I think the safety class. Now, I'd say, I'd even say it might be a little above average. Okay. But this safety class, Kyle Hamilton, it's kind of the outlier. It's kind of like Kyle Pitts last year in the tight end class. Like, he's, he's in his own planet here. Like, you're... You're not, you almost, it's almost like difficult to include him because he's about as good a safety prospect as we've seen. So he's up there. And then I would consider Lewis Seen from Georgia, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State, and Jalen Petrie from Baylor, all like fringe first rounders. Like if you took them at the back end of the first round, I don't bat an eye at any of those guys. So that's good, but that, like that's a, a good deal of talent, but that's kind of it then. Like you get one of those four guys that I just said, or you may not be getting a great safety at that point. So that's kind of the class runs about four deep here at safety that are guys I would really want and think can make an impact soon. Kirby Joseph, kind of the wild card from Illinois, had a little bit of an up and down senior bowl, not, didn't like turn heads, I'd say, but like his build and his ball skills are very good. That there's a lot to work with him. Do you feel that, I, I wanted Brandon Smith in this class. And then he transfers to Notre Dame. Not Brandon Smith. Brandon oh, jo- yes. Brandon Joseph. Joseph, yes. Why did Brandon Joseph in this class? I thought that'd be high. Why do you feel, I think we were higher on Brisker in season than we are now. Brisker is kind of falling the top of, you know, right at the back end of the. You know, That's always where he's been. Other, really? Yeah. He's always been like. 25 to 40 range. I don't think he ever, I don't even know if he cracked top 30 at any point, but that's okay. like, he's just a very solid safety. I don't think he goes. I'd be stoked at getting Brisker at the top day too. Yeah. I like Brisker a lot as a football player. All right, let's get to the next one. Tight end. And I've heard a lot about this tight end class being good. I don't, I don't see it. I mean, there's a lot of guys you can pl- plug in. I don't see a single like difference maker. It's not good for what people want at the tight end position Exactly. Now, right? Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. It's like you, you can find a lot of – I'm trying to think of the right thing to say here. You can find a lot of like Dalton Keens in this class, guys who are moderately athletic, good balls, good enough ball skills you can see the football field with. But you're never expecting them to be – to get more than 800 yards in a season. I think Trey McBride's the only one in this class that I would ever place a bet on to get more than 800 yards in a season. Like, basically just ever become mm-hmm. a feature guy at the tight end position. I just don't see, I don't see the athleticism and the movement skills with these other dudes. In, in terms so. of pure pass catchers, right, throw blocking out the window, yeah. is it right to look at McBride, Weidermeyer, and then maybe Coastal Carolina's Isaiah Likely as I'd even put I'd even put Likely above Weidermeyer. Okay. Weidermeyer's just, he's going to be slow. I, and this past year, he kind of mailed it in as the blocker. Like, he's not going to go that. I, I'd be floored if he runs faster than a 4.75, and I'd be floored if he goes higher than the third round. Or even do yeah. fall to day three. And I've seen, I've seen Colorado State's Trey McBride, which was, who was awesome at the senior bowl. Like, there's a lot of reasons to like Trey McBride as the top tight end in this class. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him mocked at the back end of the first round. Like, 32 to the Lions. Like, that's just not going to happen for me, right? Yeah. I'd rather have really it's any no of these guys. It's a no for me, guys. dog. Yeah. It's a no for me, dog. I'd rather have any of these guys, Rucker, Watermeyer, Isaiah Likely on day two, day three even, yeah. <laughs> than taking you know, yes. um, Trey McBride. And that's not to say he's a bad football player. So you factor in the value of the position yeah. and just how much he's not going to elevate above you know, what other yeah, I think the only guy I would even, if it, you would have, the only guy who, if I had a pick on day two, that I would even consider 
is Trey McBride. I would not consider anyone else before day three. That's fair. Just because That's fair. the juice ain't worth the squeeze at the position. No, I get you. I get you. All right, close us out. we got more left. All right, we have interior offensive lines next. And this might be a little low on interior offensive line because, honestly, I kind of like – I obviously love Linderbaum at center position, Iowa center. I really like Kendrick Green, Kenyon Green excuse me, from Texas A&M. And I think Zion Johnson's a stay one starting guard. But I just don't think the depth's there. Mm-hmm. So I like those three – after that, I'm not sure there's like a guy I feel great about ever really being a starting. I thought we saw flashes from Dylan Parr on the Memphis guard at the senior bowl. Marcus yeah. Hayes had some good reps, right? But none of them were legit standing out above yeah. the rest there. Zion Johnson was the only one where you felt like, okay, this is obvious that he's going to be like a yeah. first start. And, and I think Ed Ingram from LSU and Jamari Salyer from Georgia had good senior bowls. Mm-hmm. But again, not to the point where, like I said, those guys are back end of day two after those top three guys is where I'm starting to consider this interior offensive line class. Are you going to consider ultimately Darian Kennard in this interior offensive line class or will he stick it out tackle for you? On the I board? think he's going to have to be a guard at the yeah. next level. So yeah. So where would you slot him in in this group? Where, where is he at right now for you? Uh, that's a good question. I think he's right behind I would say I'd sit probably right behind Dylan Parham. Mm-hmm. Probably interior offensive line five at the moment. Gotcha. The next position group is running back. We haven't had a good running back class in a while. I don't think we've seen this ranked considerably high in a while. Yeah, and so we're going to do a generational running back bracket here a little bit later. But, yeah, it just doesn't have a lot of dynamic guys. Like, the only guy I really want in this class is Kenneth Walker. And now it really blows my mind that he's not getting first-round hype. Like, if you just look at him versus Najee Harris as a prospect, I don't. I think Kenneth Walker's better. Yeah. Like I, not to shit on Najee Harris, but like Kenneth Walker has speed and power and, and younger. Proven and proven broken yeah, tackle. And like did it behind no offensive, not no offensive line, but like did it kind of a lot on his own against good competition. I don't know. There's just a lot to like about Kenneth Walker. I think he's a very good prospect. And we'll, well, he didn't go to Bama. Did you factor that in? And, that's, and that air, that, therein lies the problem of running back evaluations <laughs> and why you get Clyde Edwards-Lair going in the first round. It's true. Because when a guy's in an optimal situation for him, they look better. Oh, as it's always been. You know, like as we've said for years. At the NFL level. At the NFL yeah. level. But it applies to college too, and it sways your evaluation on guys, whereas Kenneth Walker running behind, you know, objectively mm-hmm. worse offensive line than what Bama was throwing out the last two years, putting up similar if not better he numbers was in the heisman conversation after yeah. that michigan game and it's like i, I don't i don't no, really I think that's so i think that's a fair push i think pushing i yeah. mean i wouldn't take i don't think you would either take kenneth walker in the first round just purely from a position of eye perspective but the fact that but other media it's outlets, not getting talked about yeah, that way yeah, yeah, especially in a weak class sense. that makes sense so all uh, these guys yeah. that you can take on you know day two day three some guys that excite me i really like jerry on ely from Ole miss okay and he's a really small back but i think him getting a jerry and ely type on day three, knowing the athletic ability that he has and like what he offers in the passing game, I really do think Jerry Neely is going to be one of my like guys in the on day three. And I think that's what you kind of have to do with the running back position, especially working here at BFF. You're never going to say like, "Hey, this is my guy. I'm taking him inside the top yeah. 50. right? Like your guys are going to be guys that are going Later. to be available late day two, early day three that can offer mm-hmm. just like a different type, right? Like that's what I want from my running yeah. back, similar to what San Francisco does, like bringing in speed, bringing athletes, and just making this committee. I mean, yeah. I don't think we're going to see. How many 300 carry or no 300 carry backs do you think we're going to see in like five years? I don't know. Not I just lot. don't think they're going to be a lot. The trend yeah. continues to slow down. So the one the one back in this class I like that's 
probably going to go later on is Zonovan Knight from North Carolina State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very curious to see how he tests because I think he's going to test very well and could then be a you know, quote-unquote riser post-combine. What a brutal scene for this next one. I'm going to go ahead and say a quarterback. Give quarterback second to last among yeah. positions here in the 22 NFL draft. I know we've talked about this quarterback class probably too much mm-hmm. at this point on this podcast, talking about <laughs> how it's just not at the, not in the tier of previous quarterback classes, but I guess this does put a final exclamation point on how bad this See, class is. The thing is, though, just because it's bad doesn't mean there's no talent to be had. But also the thing is, this is going to be the lowest we've ranked a quarterback on our draft board. QB1, our draft board, since we started doing this. Like, there, there hasn't been a year i don't think that we didn't think that we didn't have a quarterback at number one actually the it was the trubisky year that was the only year we didn't have a quarterback top of the draft board number one overall player every other year we said you know jared goff whether Jameis winston baker mayfield kyler murray joe burrow trevor lawrence every single year besides trubisky and then this one so yeah it's like I said, there's not complete breadth of talent, but there's it's the worst QB1 that we've seen. You hate to see it. <laughs> and there's not even a lot of depth in this class either. You know, there's, there's f- six guys. Yeah. No, five guys. Five guys. Six guys. Six guys. Six guys that you'd even draft? Six guys that six guys that like you could feasibly think could start at some point. Damn. Bailey Zappi, I just I just think he's like a nice backup that maybe you take in the fourth, fifth. Take him for the story. That's kind of that's undermining him quite a bit. But all right, defensive tackle, <laughs> last last position group here. There we go, defensive tackle. Although it's kind of grown on me that there is some guy, some dudes. It's still a weak class, in my opinion. Devontae Wyatt is going to be DT one. George defense tackle. Jordan Davis is going to be DT two. Those guys, you like, you you feel good about them starting. After that, like Logan Hall from Houston. Did not have a great senior bowl. Is undersized. Serious question marks. Travis Jones from UConn. Good prospect. Nose tackle only, though. Like, two-down guy. Fedarian Mathis, Pierre Winfrey, the Alabama and Oklahoma defense tackles, respectively, are probably, like, the last two that I'm thinking are plug-and-play starters. So that's it. One, two, three, four, five, six guys that I would would draft and throw to the Wolves day one. That's a That's tough. You know, yeah. Do you do you? I remember you mentioned at the top. Do you think there's a reason for the trend of you know some bad defensive tackle classes of late? Um, I don't know. That's it's not a sexy position. Not getting in vogue. College is going more three down stuff, so they're not even like using. I think that's every position the also thing. getting lighter, right? Yeah. Like every position also getting lighter. These guys who were maybe playing defensive tackle a few years ago are trying to cut down to play like a 260 edge type. Yeah, you have guys like Logan Hall who mm-hmm. are 270 playing in, on the inside or doing stuff that, like I said, the three down, tight fronts, whatever, aren't aren't grooming your 315-pound nose tackles. They're grooming 270-pound edge hybrids kind of. What's interesting, too, is you're not necessarily seeing – for interior offensive linemen, like lighter weight coveted. You're looking for those guys to clear the 300, 320 pound marks. Whereas for defensive tackle, like these guys are trying to cut to try and get more speed and all that stuff, which I think it's it's gonna be an interesting trend to follow. Before we get to the generational running back prospect bracket, some shout outs to our sponsors. The Tailgate Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advise your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started with the westernsouthern.com 
slash PFF. Also, go to PFF.com now through the Super Bowl. Get 25% off any PFF subscription. Use promo code 20, SUPER25. That's promo code SUPER25 for everything that Mike Reiner writes, including the draft guide. You love to see it. Mm. Generational running everything. back prospect practice. You approached me with this segment idea. <laughs> I didn't completely understand it at first. Please okay. let the Gators listeners know. Okay, so as the Gators probably know, <laughs> we started grading in 2014. We need. We need. Can we, can we pause? Yeah. Can we ask the listeners if they like the Gators? Yeah. Com- we 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 rolled with the Gators for too long. We need to. I'm saying it right now. We are going to create. We're trying to create some new merch. We're close to making Gators merch now. Yes. Before yeah. we press that button, please submit via Twitter DM, IG DM, or however you YouTube can contact comment. us. YouTube comment. What you feel like is a better name for people who listen to this podcast. If you even feel like there's a name. I don't hate podcast listeners with no name. Like, it doesn't have to be this fucking weird-ass thing. It could also be just like, I listen to that I podcast. I think there's got to be a unifying Maybe, mantra. maybe, maybe. Anyway, if you I submit a better ga- name. I ga- multiple Gators at the Senior Bowl come up to me and say they're Gators. I've had multiple people come up to me and say yeah. they're Gators, too. I don't know if they're that proud of it, though. That's I want true. people to be proud of the name. I want tattoos, yeah. baby. But please submit your name. Name naming of the audience yeah either youtube comment twitter dm or on ig dms all of those are open for the boys and for the fellow the Be- ladies. best suggestion gets whatever merch we create yes i'm gonna get 50 dollars worth of new x audience name merch sent to you directly if you come up with the best name you'd love to see that all right generational running back prospect okay bracket for the gators for now gators for now so we started 2014 college grading which have we ever told the story like it was just we, we Neil came to us like a week before college started that year and was like, hey, we're going to grade college. No, we did it. Not a week before. It was in August. Wasn't it Chris's idea originally? And so it was. It was. So Chris bought the company in February of 2015. August of 2015. Or was it 14? It was 14. February of 2014. August 2014. We started creating college football. That's insane. Yes. Uh, and that it first was, year of grading had to have been bunk. Grind. <laughs> it was, we didn't actually even finish. So it says like two weeks before and we had no infrastructure in place in like how to record games. We, we missed a lot of games yeah. with like bad re- recordings and just like didn't know how to find them after that. Because you so guys there weren't was, selling the college teams yet either. We weren't selling to anybody. It was just like <laughs> a proof of concept to show that we could do it to teams to then get more funding for it. And so we don't finish that year until... February, like until oh like the Super Bowl, even like grading all of college, it was a grind. But now we have eight years of college football That's grading sick. in the books. That's sick. So we're going to take the top prospect from every year. We have 11 positional groups to go from now until the draft. We're going to take the top prospect from every single year of those, match them up against each other in chronological order. So the most recent being, as I'll just say, it, a running back is going to be Kenneth Walker. Yeah. Our very first RB1 back in 2015 draft was Todd Gurley going to go head-to-head debating who's the better prospect to oh, then yeah. crown the generational running back prospect love in the PFF that. Love that. Love that. So that way there's not just like six, right? Because every year there's like a generational yes. I get you. Yes. I get you. So I we have that. to crown who was the generational running back prospect of the PFF era. I'm a, I'm so to break it down, by year, 2015, go back, it was Todd Gurley. 2016 was Ezekiel Elliott coming out of Ohio State. 2017, we, we, we had a little bit of a different one here. That was the McCaffrey Fournette draft, but we had Dalvin Cook. Oh, as RB1 wow. in 2017. I think we've been proven somewhat I mean, correct been on that great, one. Though. McCaffrey's been great, but Dalvin Cook also been great. So I think we've been proven at least like to not be I get dead wrong about having Dalvin Cook as RB1 in that class. Now, he fell in the second round because of off-field, whatever. But Saquon Barkley in 2018 was RB1. Not your boy. Sorry. Oh, I, not I, Rashad? I, I wanted Rashad to get more love in that class. 
Josh Jacobs in 2019 was our RB1. DeAndre Swift in 2020, RB1. Javante Williams in 2021. Swift and now, wasn't the consensus RB1 in that. Class. No, that one was all over the map in terms of RB1. Obviously, Clyde Edwards Hilaire goes RB1, mm-hmm. has not been RB1. Jonathan Taylor has been RB1. <laughs> he's barely been a RB1. Yeah, he barely star- Jarek McKinnon looks better than Clyde Edwards Hilaire right now, which is, is hateful to see. <laughs> but so there is your RB1s going head to head. Let's kick off the bracket. All right. One to eight. We got to go to the one to eight matchup. So the one to eight matchup is Todd Gurley versus Kenneth Walker. I, I, I I'm excluding his NFL career because obviously I didn't like, but like, yeah, Gurley is obviously Gurley was, was obviously. The now I did. I will say this in the Gurley class, I did like Melvin Gordon a lot. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough Melvin one. So those guys were right. We didn't actually put out a board, but we did a mock draft, and in the mock draft, Todd Gurley went one. Oh really? So that was when Matt Clawson. Shout out to Matt Clawson, who is a grader at PFF. Former D3 running back at, I can't remember exactly the school, wow. but he did our running back scouting. Obviously, he played running back in college. So he did our running back scouting that year, and he had Gurley with a slight edge. Nice. But Ty Gurley. I won't, I won't say, I, obviously, you could say that Melvin Gordon has panned out to be a better pro because he's played longer, but like yeah. Gurley's peak was insane. Yeah. I mean, Gurley was a good prospect yeah. for damn sure. Like, he, yeah. four, five, two, at like 222 pounds. He, he was a load. Uh, to bring down coming out of Georgia. He returned kicks for them. He had that kick return against yeah, yeah. It, Bama. So, yeah. Oh, my God. The uh, Gurley I, college tape was lit. I love Kenneth Walker, but I think I will lean I Todd Gurley, Gurley yeah. there as well. Uh, the, uh, a side note on that, you mentioned former PFF graders, and I know we've mentioned this guy on the podcast before, but Bobby Slowick. Yes. Did you know he was on that 2013 Washington coaching staff? Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> He coached outside linebackers. I know, yeah. Ryan I was Kerrigan looking at it to make – I made a Brian joke Rampa. on Twitter about Lovey Smith, and I was looking on it to see, like, who else was on there, and I saw Bobby Sloan. That's, That's how – so he got booted. Obviously, that whole staff then got dissolved after that year because they went 3-13. And, <laughs> and they all landed on their feet. Bobby Sloan went to PFF. That's how he came to PFF oh, really? right after he, that. So from, that t- year. Okay. Yeah, from that oh, year? Okay. from that year. I joined PFF in 2017, mm-hmm. and it was like a couple years in you guys grading college. And yeah. I was like thinking it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. I got Rashad Petty Forceman's tackle stats. It was, yeah. it was it, sick. I mean, it was the coolest thing in the world. All right, let's go to 2-7. to seven. All right, 2-7. to seven. Zeke back in 2016 versus Javante this is, past year. This is where I am going to lean again to the older prospect. I'm going Zeke. Zeke was, Zeke was sick. insane. Yeah. That Ohio State team was insane. I mean, with him included. I mean, he is – he was insane in that, that class. I mean, Javante Williams was great, but I don't even think we were – I don't think anyone was consistently mocking him in, like, the top four like Zeke was. Yeah, Zeke went – and, it, like, Zeke came out 225 pounds and ran a 4.47. Wow. At that size. I and mean, Javante was, like, a 4.61. Jonathan Taylor ran a 4.39 at that size. Yeah. Uh, should have been higher than Jonathan Taylor, yeah, let's be real. But – Zeke was great in pass protection, great in the passing game. Like, he was a complete NFL running back. Still is. He's just not quite, you know, gained some weight. Like, yeah, yeah. Straight up, dude, gained some weight. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's we all bigger have. than he was. Like, that legit robbed him of a few good years there. All right. Next one here. Bumping up to the 2017 draft versus the 2020 draft. That's Dalvin Cook versus DeAndre This feels like Swift. another obvious answer. Saquon Barkley was different. Squall no, Mark. we're going Dalvin Cook versus DeAndre Swift. Oh, that I thought you said. Word I, I said. No, I'm sorry. I thought I heard you say Squall versus Jacobs. Da- Dalvin Cook versus DeAndre Swift. I think this is obvious as well, though. Dalvin Cook. I know we're really leaning towards all the old backs, but like I, I do think those were. But some also, classes. wasn't Swift the Jonathan Taylor class? Uh, yeah, he was. Would you put Taylor over Cook if he was? Our no, own? no. Cook, Cook was. Cook might win. There. I like him coming out his tape back at Florida State that year. They had, I believe, it was either the lowest or the second lowest graded run blocking in the power five of any power five offensive line. 
and he broke the most tackles in college football. And I think that was his sophomore year, actually. That wasn't even his final year at Florida State. Like his, he had some insane explosiveness, cutting ability. Now, he had some of the weirdest testing I can remember. Only ran a 4.49 when people were predicting like 4.3s from coming out of Florida State. But I think in the NFL, it's been proven that he's pretty damn fast enough still. Yeah. Dude, at Florida State, oh, yeah, it was sophomore His year, 2015. screws up a lot of people's perception of its importance, yeah. right? Like, oh, Calvin Cook ran this. It's like, no, he was definitely hurt for that. 2015, he averaged 7.4 yards per carry with 19 touchdowns on 229 carries, 1,696 yards, four yards per after contact per attempt behind one of the worst run blocking lines in college football. Like, that guy you just knew didn't matter where he went. He yeah. was going to light it up in the NFL. And DeAndre's, I mean, at the time... Swift was a great receiver yeah. coming out. And has not but at the been time, though, we were pretty such. low on that running back class overall, right? Yes. I mean, like there were a the, lot of different of, RB1s, not a big consensus there. Like, these other guys that have won so far, Gurley, Zeke, Cook, I mean, we're among these, like, consensus yeah. top 10 players. I think we just said, like, we'll take the last one of... It was DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson. We're just like, we'll take whichever one's last yeah. of those guys. And... They all went re- they all went high, but none went super high. All right, last of the first round, round matchups: Saquon Barkley against Josh Jacobs. We can r- sprint in the card yeah. here. I think Josh Jacobs was probably the weakest RB one of the RB one season, even over here. Swift. Really, I think so. Okay, I didn't. I honestly, his biggest selling point to me was he was like a, had very natural hands as a receiver, but he was just limited in his speed and explosiveness. That guy. So there were concerns with Saquon coming out, though. I remember late in the process, people were talking about him. Or trying to make a home run out of every run and like yeah. bouncing things out all the no, time, yeah. and you've seen a lot of that yeah. with the Giants. So I'm not I'm not saying he wasn't a generational prospect. Yeah. Everyone had him like as a top five player in that class, but still, there were some some writing on the wall for some of the concerns yeah. you see in the NFL now. No, no one saw the injury plague that has hit for Saquon Barkley. I mean, that's it was rare. That, it was he did not have any injury yeah, tags like that. Like you can't shock up him. Mm-hmm. Like if you, you were low on his vision or whatever. That's not why he was rough this yeah. last year. It was because he tore his ACL. All right, All right, shall we go? Yeah, Todd Gurley, second round matchup here. Todd Gurley versus Saquon Barkley. Your one versus your four. I think I lean are... Saquon because yeah. Gurley did have like the knee injury flags. Remember, that was a yes. big reason why people were like souring on other, well, souring on Gurley in general. Yeah. I, I like Sa- Saquon. I like Saquon was cool, quite comfortably the better prospect, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Just more explosive and mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. And Zeke versus Dalvin Cook. This one's a real debate for me. This one, I lean Dalvin Cook, honestly, just because of type. I I know Saquon or Zeke ran the faster 40, but Dalvin was the better home run threat. Like this guy had insane explosiveness. He had. I think the I think the 40 could have clouded people's judgment to a point where if you looked at consensus ranking for Zeke versus consensus rankings for Cook, Zeke was you know better prospect purely from like where he landed on the consensus big board, but. If Dalvin Cook actually shows what we think he is at that combine, I think more people are talking about Dalvin Cook as the running back one in that class, and honestly, the more generational player overseas. Yeah, and the bigger thing with Cook was off-field. Yeah. And so I really don't want to factor that into this because it's like you're talk- we're talking about talent here. I, th- I think Cook was the more talented running back coming Fair. out, prospect. Fair. Are, you any- are we willing to go yeah, Cook? I'm, going to go, I'm yeah. willing to go Cook with you. Cook. Going Cook. Versus, so it's Cook versus Saquon. I'm not. It's Saquon. It's and Saquon. to me, it's still Saquon. It's got to be. It's yeah. got to be. There was never. I don't think we'll ever talk about. 
I mean, this guy was getting like AP Barry Sanders like combo comps. Yeah. They they were like Saquon Barkley might be God. It's if two Hall of Famers were better. <laughs> yeah. They'd be Saquon. Exactly. Yeah. And they couldn't get hurt. Like they were talking about this guy that like, literally could not miss. Yeah. It was a and that I mean Dave Dave Gettleman right after he drafted him was like this is. It gave him yeah it gave him the sort of cover. Yeah. To go with one of the craziest positional value takes of oh, all time. Brutal scene. Gettleman. R.I.P. You hate to see it. You hate um, to see it. But yeah, I, this one I do that's feel. A fun, that's a fun. That's Saquon, a fun, uh... Reigns, Supreme. So there's your bracket. Saquon like bracket. versus Cook. Saquon ruins out. And your generational, the official generation. Because I think an NFL generation yeah. is about eight years. We should get social that's to it, make That's how long like, a full career in the NFL lasts. Eight years. Your generational running back prospect is Saquon Barkley. I think we should get social to make a graphic. Yeah. That'd be kind of lit. Let's do it. A little tailgate action. Get on it. Stone. Just says thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Uh, now on to the interviews with USC head coach Lincoln Riley and NC State's Icky Aquan. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is USC head coach Lincoln Riley. Great to have you on the show, man. And where I'd like to start is you've been at USC two to three months now, joining you know enjoying the sunny and seventy five weather. How has it been so far? <laughs> like you said, yeah. I, I told somebody earlier, it's almost like being on vacation and never ends. It's uh, <laughs> a little hard to believe that this is where we live now, but it's it's been great. It has. Uh, the community's been great, very welcoming to us. Uh, our staff, it's been great, obviously, getting around the university and getting around the players and, uh, yeah, just kind of just excited for every step of this. So me being a Notre Dame guy, very excited to have you on. It's infused some youth and some sort of energy into this rivalry that had kind of been one-sided the past handful of years with Marcus Freeman now at Notre Dame as well. I had one question, though, about that. Why do you think USC is scared to play in South Bend in November? <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if we have been, we're not anymore. Okay, good. Love hey, yeah, I love it. You heard it here first. Uh, I want to focus a little bit on your staff as well. I think you've talked about it in multiple interviews, just how important they are to the success at USC. You brought a couple guys over, Dennis Simmons and Alec Grinch. I guess speak to how critical they are being a part of this kind of rebirth at USC, something that you're looking to change. Yeah, no, those were a couple of the guys that just – wasn't going to do this without them. I mean, mm-hmm. just plain and simple. Uh, yeah, Coach Simmons is, uh, you know, one of my closest confidants, both on and off the field. Our assistant head coach does so much within the program, and and just uh, yeah, just a difference maker for us in every sense. And then yeah, Coach Grinch obviously was able to bring him over uh, from Ohio State uh, three years ago, and he did a phenomenal job, you know, spearheading the change defensively uh, for us at Oklahoma, uh, and and the obvious. The, produ- the changes in production. I mean, NFL picks. You know, in a- any way that you can that you can define it, there there was obvious improvement and really drastic improvement. And so, excited to see what what he'll be able to do defensively, and our staff will be able to do defensively with the roster we feel like we can assemble here. So, nah, two two guys that you know are some of the very best at their positions in the country, and also two guys that were dying to be here at USC with us. Yeah, so you obviously come over from Oklahoma to here. At Oklahoma, mainly recruiting Texas, Oklahoma, Midwest sort of area here, but dabbled somewhat in Southern California. What is the difference walking into a recruit's house down here in SoCal or anywhere in California with USC on your chest versus with Oklahoma on your chest and the reception that you kind of get from these recruits? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you can tell that USC just just hits a little bit different uh, with, with people in this area. I mean, there's just, there's no question about it. And I think on top of it, there's just such a hunger in this area. And I think an excitement for everyone, even Obviously, a lot of people around here are USC fans, and 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 you know are are you know very invested in what's going on. But even even people that maybe aren't a diehard USC fan or not an alumni, 
I think most people still want to see this program back to where it can be because I think like football in the West, I think football, college football in general is much better when USC is playing at a, at a high level. And so I think there's just a genuine excitement across the country to see that happen again. And, and to add to that, right, USC has been this big program in college football for so long. It's been sunny in 75 down here for a long time, but they haven't had the success that maybe people expect in the Pac-12. You know, you have this staff, you have this credibility coming from Oklahoma, a very successful trip at Oklahoma. But I guess what's going to be the biggest difference in your approach here at USC compared to maybe previous regimes that's going to get it back? on track to being this powerhouse that everyone expects it to be well, it's just i mean you just you build it i mean it's a step-by-step process i mean i think i think the thing for for us coming in here is is we, we have a plan you know <laughs> we have a plan and we know it works i mean we we know what a really 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 elite program looks like feels like how it operates now does that mean we've got it all figured out does that mean we won't continue to get better absolutely not I, that's a that's a the game is a constant evolution um but I think you've got a lot of guys coming in, and not just the guys that came in from Oklahoma. I mean, we, if you looked at the rest of our staff, I mean, we hired, uh, you know, hired the D-line coach from Michigan, Sean Nua, you know, who obviously they had a phenomenal year, won the Big Ten, went to the playoff. Uh, our running back coach, Kyle McDonald from Utah. Obviously, they had a tremendous year, um, won the league, went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, so a lot, of the, a lot of the hires that we made, even outside of the group that we brought from Oklahoma, were guys that – that have won, that have experienced this at a high level. And we, we want we want our players to feel that. We want them to, to feel every single day what it feels like to be a championship-level program. And I think once you do that, it becomes habit, it becomes second nature, and that's when that's when you've got some, some, some real staying power. Another coach to add to that list that you mentioned, guys that you're bringing over, Josh Henson, yes. coming over from Texas A&M to be the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. I guess speak to the successes that he had and how excited you are to have him on the staff. Yeah, no, he was a part of a, a really nice turnaround there at Texas A&M. And, and even before his time at A&M, I mean, pretty highly regarded guy in terms of the work he's done at, at LSU, uh, at Oklahoma State, at Missouri. Missouri, uh, you know, guys, guys, one of the best offensive line coaches in the country, and no question about it. And again, he he kind of fits the the mold. You see, you know, high level coaches from championship level programs. But again, all these guys were dying to be here. You know, none of these guys were were, were looking for a job. Mm-hmm. You know, that these guys all saw what 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 I saw here, which is you know the the makings of one of the best college football programs in the country and all the things that you could possibly need to get that done so i think there's just i can promise you there's a genuine excitement among the entire staff about where this thing is headed so one of the biggest storylines in college football right now is the transfer portal and all that comes along with it you guys have obviously been active in that already how do you divide or prioritize your time between the transfer portal and recruiting those type of guys and high school recruiting and getting guys in that regard, how everyone kind of has recruited for yeah. years now. I mean, I just think they're they're all different tools now to build your roster, and you have to use the tools that the that the rules allow you to use. Yeah. And uh, for us right now, when we're trying to change uh, a, a decent sized portion of this roster, uh, it's it's been a very it's been a very advantageous uh, tool. It has. It's really um, it's really helped us add some some high level players, some guys that have college experience um, to where. I mean, you think about if you didn't have the transfer portal, we come in here, you know, a couple of weeks before the first signing day, you know, the, the, you know, there had been some, the staff had been in transition for a long time. Now you've only got, you know, a handful of guys committed out of high school. I mean, how are you going to go, you know, all of a sudden just go grab a bunch of high school guys, some, some maybe that you didn't know or you haven't seen. It just, it just, it wouldn't be as good a recipe as I think what we're doing right now. So we're going to mix it. I, I think we'll take, 
you know, certainly we'll take more transfers probably early on in our time here than maybe what we will later. We certainly want to get back to a much more, you know, I don't want to say it's going to be 50-50, but certainly a much more balanced approach because obviously recruiting the high schools um, with, with the advantages that we have here being right here in Southern California, right in the heart of Los Angeles, um, we know what we're going to be able to get there as time goes on. And so that's, uh, I think that part will always be the, the foundation of it. But right now the transfer portal helps us build it um, a little bit quicker. A big transfer coming to USC. I'm sure you had a thousand questions about him, but it is the Heisman favorite, Caleb Williams. Don't speak to the recruiting process and all that stuff. I'd love to hear what you, your opinion of him as a player, right, and how critical he's going to be a part of this turnaround. Uh, Caleb's, you know, Caleb's a good player. He is. He's uh, obviously we have some experience together, and you know, I think for us, you know, coming in, he makes that quarterback room. Um, he makes that room certainly much stronger. Uh, you know, getting him in there with a couple of our guys, and that the strength of that room is obviously critically important to the success of your team. And so, I think it's uh, it's uh, he's been a great addition. And uh, yeah, so I, I, as a player, certainly improved a lot throughout the year. Last year was thrown in some. Um, unique situations for a true freshman, and I thought really responded well. You know, and I think for him, it's going to be about just continuing to grow. You know, there's there's a lot to build on, a lot to like, but still so many things that this guy can do better uh, as he matures as a player, as he continues to mature as a leader. Um, you know, continue, continues to see different challenges defensively, uh, learns our system better and better. There's just He's, he has a he has a really good skill set, and the sky's the limit. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done, and I know he's excited as we all are to to get to get a chance to kind of continue our journey together. I want to ask you about a couple prospects from Oklahoma, a couple guys you coached that are on the defensive side of the ball. I haven't had a ton of top defensive talent come out of Oklahoma in recent years, but Nick Benito, the edge rusher, Perry, I went for the defensive tackle. How good are those guys in kind of the history of defensive players you've coached, uh, you know, throughout the years, Oklahoma, East Carolina, wherever? Yeah, no, those guys were, were definitely a part of our, our front at OU the last few years, becoming one of the most productive fronts in the country and a big part of our defensive turnaround. So now they're um, very talented players. You know, Perrion came to us as a junior college player and, and uh, really improved throughout his two seasons with us. He's very... Uh, very disruptive, naturally extremely violent with his hands. He has really good get-off. Um, he, he, he can anticipate and really explode, really use his hips well. Um, and he's a very tough matchup one-on-one. And so created a lot of havoc. And I know, and I thought this year fin- finished more plays better than he did his first year. That was kind of our big point for him was he was in position to make a lot of plays year one. Mm-hmm. Made a lot, but left too many on the table. And we thought this year really turned into a much more complete player. So obviously he had a tremendous senior bowl the other day. Was really proud of him. Uh, Nick Benito is a very talented edge rusher. Extremely, uh, extremely gifted. Can really bend. Another guy that has great get off. Um, you know, has a one of the best speed rushes and then uses a lot of different counters off of that. But the speed rush is certainly his fastball. And then I think improved a lot of becoming a more versatile player as time went on, of defending the run game, being able to hold up against, you know, big offensive tackles or tight ends, down blocks, all of that, uh, which made him a more effective player for us as well. So excited to see those guys do well and, and get their opportunity at the next level. So you're obviously known as like an offensive mind. That's how you came up. But to, know, to scheme good offense, you have to know defenses and like basically how to beat the rules. So how much, how much do you have your hands in the defensive side of the ball as the head coach? Or are, do you kind of leave that up to your defensive coordinators? Well, I've got a lot of trust in, in Alex Grinch and our defensive staff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly I certainly spend more time with the offense than I do okay. the defense. No question about that. But absolutely you do. I mean, I think there's – there's uh, obviously you're studying the film. You're watching it with the guys. You're talking 
Uh, Alex and I have a lot of conversations through the years about just scheme in general and talking about it from both different perspectives and how we can be better, how we can create advantages on either side of the ball. So I would say um, certainly more of a, a supervisory type role. Um, I, I ultimately, I know I'm responsible for it, but I also have guys in there that I certainly trust and delegate a lot of that to. I wanted to also ask, and you said you have this plan at USC, how you're going to turn it around. I guess what are going to be some of the principal components of this culture change at USC? And I, we brought up Williams, and how important is he going to be, like this vocal leader, this guy that's going to be leading the pack? You've had an opportunity to work with him at such a young age, leading the pack and what this new culture will look like at USC. Well, I mean, yeah, you've been asked the question a lot, like, yeah, how, how do you change a culture? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long answer. I mean, you change it with every decision you make and every <laughs> action and everything that you do every single day i mean it's 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 got to become who you are as a program and it's uh it's from the, the 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 initial plan of what do we do uh to how we do it to the coaches um kind of living their lives and and kind of showing the players the way the players taking that over uh, but there's not there's not one thing we do there's not one decision we make that's not with that in mind. And I think, again, as time goes through, it just becomes it becomes a standard. It just becomes the norm. And that's you're, you're fighting now that everything that feels different and feels like change, and you want it to eventually feel like that's just what we do. And so it's a, it's a process to get to that point. But like I said, luckily we've got a staff full of guys that have a great idea of what that looks like. Uh, we brought in a number of players that, that are excited to be a part of it. And, and then I, I would say this. I think a big part of it is, is a lot of the players that we retained uh, because a lot of those guys wanted to be here. They wanted to be part of the turnaround, and they're they're certainly as key to this as anybody is. So it's going to take the whole group coming together under kind of one common goal here, and that's to get this program back. It's going to take the whole group coming together uh, to get that done. So this was a topic of conversation during the NFL playoffs with the Cowboys and CeeDee Lamb having only one catch in their loss, uh, your former wide receiver. But when you have a guy like CeeDee Lamb, when you have a top-tier talent, on the edge or maybe even at running back anywhere offensively how do you balance you know trying to scheme guys open versus basically just saying my guy's better than your guy i'm gonna let him you know get open more iso routes to let him cook basically know you have that inbuilt advantage yeah i mean that's that's why you recruit so hard that's why you develop so hard because you want to you want to create advantages on the field and the more advantages that you have the more things that you can do uh, to take advantage of them or the flip side of that is the more things uh, the opposite side of the ball has to do to account for them, and then it opens up yeah. so many other things. So I, I think it's uh, – no, you certainly want to have <laughs> – if you had a choice, you certainly want to have more like that than you don't. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's there, – there's obviously a feel. I mean, I think most most football systems in general have – um, you know, core principles that they're going to stick to, and then and then you're going to game plan. And again, whether it's something you think you can take an advantage of scheme wise or a certain player that you can, I mean, how much do you do it? How much do you not? I mean, that's that's kind of the fun in it, and that's yeah. the beauty in it. But I think certainly when you've got an outstanding player, it's it's uh, you know you've got to use that to your advantage. You don't always have. You know, not every single year are you going to have just an elite, elite guy that's going to be you know probably better than anybody you play. And when you do, I think. Uh, you gotta, you got to let that horse run. Last question for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. We're obviously here in Los Angeles for Super Bowl 56. Have you had a lot, a lot of opportunities to watch these teams? And if so, who are some of the players that you've been most impressed with? And if you're ready to commit to it, a Super Bowl pick, who do you think is going to win? <laughs> um, I, I've watched a little bit of the playoffs here towards the end. Um, 
You know, there's several guys, you know, close to. I mean, obviously the, the Bengals backfield is uh, pretty littered with our guys. So, uh, and even and even Joe, I, we were one of Joe's, if not his first Division One offer when I was at East Carolina. Wow. So I got to know him and his family a little bit through that. Um, so it's been really fun to see all the success that he's had. So uh, we've got, um, and, and obviously the Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon. It's been great to see those guys as well playing at such high level. That that group's got a interesting vibe about them right now. That's I. I'd be a little nervous picking against them, uh, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, but it, I, I feel like kind of a win-win because see some of our guys win it or, or uh, see, see our hometown Rams take it home. Mm-hmm. Either way would be fantastic. Uh, Rams obviously are playing at a high level. Stafford's playing extremely confident right now. Um, Cup is amazing. I think that's uh, guys like that you dream of coaching or kind of makes you reminisce of guys you've had kind of like that that are just seem to get the absolute most out of who they are. So it uh, should be a great game. That's the playoffs have not disappointed up to this point. Coach, really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is NC State's Icky Kwanu. We've had you on before, but it was Zoom. Now we got you in person, in live person. in LA. First time you've ever been out in Los Angeles. You had Thai food last night. How Thai was that? Food. Delicious, delicious. <laughs> yeah, I had to get the Thai food on the DoorDash. Uh, just trying all the different LA restaurants, you know, seeing, seeing what's out there. So, uh, yeah, you got to. Man. West yeah. Coast has the best food, and you're training with Sport Academy out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how has that been? I know you're working with Aiden Hutchinson, Boye Mafe. How's yeah. that training been so far? Yeah, it's been great. You know, we got a great group of guys there. About seven of us. Um, we just really just put each other every day. We work hard. Uh, it's just nice, you know. I feel like we built uh, a really great culture there, and it's just nice getting after it with those guys, for sure. Have you been able to do any one-on-ones with those guys? I'm sure you're not doing a ton of pads or anything, but oh, have you yeah. gotten one-on-one maybe in like the in the lo- in the in your room or whatever? What you been doing? Oh, yeah, I mean before the Senior Bowl, me and Otito, uh, UCLA, uh, mm-hmm. tackle. Me and Otito were getting right. You know, I was giving him looks. Um, I feel like it really showed. You know, especially in some of those one-on-one pass rush tapes. If you watch the film, uh, so yeah, just any anywhere I can, any time I can cool. help. You know, anytime I can go against. You know. The best of the best. I'm, I'm gonna do it for sure. How, I guess how. I mean, it's crazy to even think about. Like you're in a room with, or in a, like you know, it, training with Aiden Hutchinson, it, you know, yourself, Boye Mafe. How often are you guys talking ball? Right? Are you watching oh, yeah, tape together all the time? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Me and uh, Coach Ramson, uh, the O line coach I'm working with, O line D line coach I'm working with. Yeah, we're, we're in the film room. Me, me, Aiden, Boye, Tito, Bam, uh, Mecca, everyone. We're in the film room, just kind of comparing film, uh, comparing tape. Uh, just on the board all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aiden will right up the front and I'll, you know, right up the offense of how, you know, we're going to try and stop it. So it's definitely a back and forth and it's definitely going to make us, you know, better. Some big news I know was sent to you by your mom. <laughs> you had Dane Brugler of The Athletic showing that you're the number one overall pick in a mock draft. How crazy was it to see that? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, you know, it's something that you dream of, uh, something that you can you can help but be excited for. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely nice to get that recognition for sure, bring some of that hype up to NC State. Some of the best conversations in this draft so far, for me at least, have been this offensive tackle class, right? It's loaded with talent. Yeah. Charles Cross in Mississippi State, Yiki Kwanu, NC State. There's so much talent in Evan Neal, Alabama. Mm. Have you had opportunities to talk to those guys at all? And I guess what do you feel separates you from these other guys in this group? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to talk to them because they're training down in Dallas, but I definitely had some conversation with them, you know, at the combine, you know, kind of just talk about technique, talk about ball, uh, you know, any time you got all those offensive linemen in the room, you know, it's, it's always going to be positive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, I feel like my athleticism and my physicality and uh, my IQ for the game, I feel like kind of separates me. And um, I'm really excited to kind of just show a little bit of that athleticism uh, come the combine time. So I'm really excited. Hell yeah, man. Well, I'm excited for it too. really appreciate the time. Sure. Lake Riley. Uh, is that the biggest guess this podcast has had? I mean, that guy was... I had an at least the richest a champion at least the <laughs> richest we didn't get a question about if we could use the private jet but i think it would have been a yes as for ike Kwanu, that interview was really short 
but we just like randomly saw him in Radio Row and like fucking yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, I gotta yeah. get him on. I was talking to him a lot before we started recording about when Dane Brugge of the Athletic mocked him number one. one. Said his mom sent him the text. He's like, dude, Icky. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. They that say, was the definition of his mom's not even that high on him. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's literally the definition. His mom's like, dude, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> mom is on the comments on the Athletic. Hey, man, I don't know. He feels more like a safe top five yeah. player. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, all right, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Send us your name suggestions for the audience, and we should be good to go. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.